Hi everyone and welcome back to another podcast with Salt Sock. Um, so today it's the whole committee, it's me, Emily, Cara and Eloise. Um, Hi. So, Hello. <laughs> um, today we are joined by the lovely Claire and Malika um, who are joining us today to chat a bit about social prescribing. Um, so um, Claire and Malika if you want to just introduce yourself and say what course you're on and um, why you decided to go into that course as well. Hi I'm Claire, um, I'm on the second year of, of the Masters um, for speech and language therapy and I guess my journey into speech and language therapy has been quite long. Uh, I'm a, a little bit older than your average student um, but I was a teacher for a number of years including teaching in special schools and when I got fed up of teaching I was just like what else can I do that actually makes a difference working with children with disabilities um, and a friend suggested becoming an SLTA uh, so I spent three years doing that and then was like do you know what I think I could get qualified let's give it a go so here I am just over halfway through now surviving just about <laughs> hi there my name is Malika so unlike Claire I'm a I'm on the first year of the undergraduate course so I'm fairly new to speech and language therapy and um, the reason why I got involved is it might sound very typical but I always kind of wanted to help people and I didn't like the doctor route just because of personal reasons and I wasn't that best in maths either and science so English was my best subject so I always kind of wanted to pursue something in English too and after personal reasons and the discovery of speech language therapist, I just knew that this course was the right one for me. So here I am now pursuing it. Can you explain to us what a social prescribing is? Okay, so I've found so far that very few people um, on the speech and language therapy course, certainly on my course, know what social prescribing is at all. I think it's something that might be hinted at and is kind of not very much out there in terms of AHPs yet, which is kind of not surprising. It kind of grew out of the medical world and, and the GP world and doctors. Um, and kind of GPs began to realise that there were so many patients that were coming to see them for, for social support or socially based problems. Uh, in fact, 25% of patients may consult their GP about what are actually social problems rather than medical problems. And I think, you know, I'd, I've found over the years that like lots of professionals come across those other needs too. Um, when I was in teaching, you know, you'd end up talking to parents about childcare things more generally. Um, when I was on placement last year, I came across a mum who was having issues with um, her, her flat. She lived in a first floor, floor flat and her daughter had physical disabilities. And so she was having to drag her daughter and her daughter's equipment up and down stairs while the lift was broken. And this had been going on for months. Um, and so social prescribing just says that actually there may be uh, an issue that we as a health professional are dealing with, but actually these other things have an impact too. If the mum's so exhausted dragging stuff up and down stairs, she hasn't got the time to work on the communication targets that we might want to set. Um, and the same kind of within, within medicine. So um, it's about providing that really holistic person-centred care that we get talked about, you know, all the time in our course. Um, and it's looking at like how we can connect that person to, to those who can help them with these sort of wider issues. So usually there'll be a link worker um, within a particular geographical area. 
and the idea is that any health professional could actually send a person refer to that link worker and the link worker looks at what matters to that person what does that person really need to support them and then helps plug them in with those things that are already going on in their community that might help them. It might be coffee mornings, it might be financial advice, it might be sports clubs, it might be a choir, you know, there's loads of different things, but it's it's about rather than just saying, oh, you know, you need to lose weight or you need to do this or you need to do that. It's about kind of helping people to take ownership and work out what's really going to make a difference in their lives. Um. I would just like to add on to that. So I think the key message of social prescribing is that it's not something that can be dealt by medicine. So a lot of people go to the GP with all these problems saying that they feel isolated, they have anxiety. And like I said, the typical, it's about the stereotyped idea is, okay, we'll go outside and take a deep breath or, you know, meditate. But social prescribing isn't like that at all. So the idea is that you have more control in your own healthcare and find a way that manages your own needs. So really taking control of yourself too. Just from um, experience as well, um, I know personally, so recently I joined a charity that helped moms with children with needs. And I can say just looking around, it has so much benefit to the moms knowing that they're not alone and they're not struggling in this. And as a community thing, it helps them it spreads awareness of all these types as are really bringing the communities together too yeah I was gonna say I haven't like it's quite a new term to me um I don't know why we've never heard of it before um but we hadn't so like hearing about all the different ways that like is there to support someone and taking out like medical aspects like it's quite easy to like medicalize don't even know if that's word someone um but to actually like we do on speech and language therapy you know taking a step back and having a look at the person as a person and everything around them and what makes them them um it's really really important so mm. sounds very good <laughs> um, i think it links into that um like what you said about the person-centered message that we're always talking about at uni um yeah. but it's just kind of like considering that in like um i guess more depth um and just kind of getting past surface level of care it's kind of uh, it's very interesting especially yeah. like eloise said that how we don't like always hear it a lot like it's not an everyday term always here so it's a good thing to um know what like its relevance is in the profession yeah um so why did you both want to be a social prescribing champion <laughs> I think I, I kind of first heard about it through my husband, who's a GP. Um, and so he talked a lot about sort of social prescribing and how good it was for, for some of his patients. Um, and I think as well, because I've had some difficulties with with my mental health, I think like he'd talk a lot about people would come in with mental health difficulties and particularly when they're quite severe, you know, he has to spend an awful lot of time what doing what lots of people could actually do, which is just really listening and being that supporter. Um, and so, you know, when he talked about how there's, there's different people now that he can refer to, to kind of give that support, that sounded brilliant. Um, and so I think that just kind of made me really interested in kind of social prescribing and, and how it could make a difference for people so when I saw that the champion scheme last sort of September October I think it was and they you know they're specifically this year for the first time after AHP champions 
Um, and I think that's part of why, you know, the, this whole thing is kind of new to, to so many of us because it's just not been talked about that much in the AHP world. But now they're starting to push it. So when I saw they were after AHP champions, I just thought, actually, I know a little bit about this. I think it's something that's really worthwhile and helpful and will be helpful to us and our patients. So, yeah, I had no idea whether I was actually going to get on the champion scheme when I applied, but but luckily I did. And yeah, it's it's been really great opportunity to kind of learn new things, but also to have a go. At, you know, even something like this podcast, um, Malika and I were both saying we've never done anything like this. So for us, this this champion scheme is a chance to learn more about social prescribing, tell others about it, and have a go at some things that we would never otherwise have done. Um, yeah, to the top now, um, I actually didn't know much about it when I first got the email and I just kind of jumped for the opportunity and I'm just so glad that I did because I've learned so much about it and I think it's a really key thing that we should use because we are grateful in speech language therapy to always be thinking about the patient, but we don't think about the outside um, picture as well of what goes on with them. So, yeah, we diagnose a patient, but then do we really think about how it affects them everyday life? So if someone does have a stutter, like obviously it shows that they have a stutter and then emotionally we don't really think about how that could make them feel. And then by building the communities as well, it just helps people really have like a sense of belonging to, which I really liked. And I, I love the idea of the fact that we can think more outside the box rather than just inside our appointments and our sessions, just dealing with the patient there and then. Yeah, it definitely sounds like um like quite an impactful role um that it can play, especially if it's like um discussed a lot more openly. Um, it can have a great impact on a lot of people, I guess. Um, so when you talk about your role as like social prescribing champions, is it part of a team? Kind of, what is your role as a whole team? How big is the team? And the who's involved? Yeah, so it's still kind of a bit of a developing thing, really. So um, they started out with um, medical student champions. I'm not sure how long ago, but certainly a couple of years ago. Um, and I think they've they've built up to like a student champion in pretty much every medical school across the country now. Um, and they've just, as I say, introduced AHP student champions. Um, so there are three of us at BCU, there's Malika and myself, and there's also um, one of the ODP students. Uh, and then there's students across other universities. I know there's at least a couple in Coventry. Um, and we kind of, I guess we're split up into mini teams. So um, I think when they got us all together, I think there were about 50 of us or something on the Teams meeting. So that would be across both medical schools and AHP courses um, but they kind of break us down into sort of regional teams so that we can like work a bit with those in our university and others nearby but we're also mentored by somebody who knows a lot about social prescribing so I'm lucky enough to be mentored by an SLT um, who works for public health Julie uh, Lowe um, and so we you know we've we've met together as a mini team with our mentor um, Malika and I are taking this opportunity to kind of work together uh, where we can to do some things. And uh, there's going to be a, a conference, hopefully face to face, all being well, uh, a little bit later in the academic year, where they're going to get everybody together and kind of give us all, all a, an opportunity to kind of learn from each other and talk about the things that we've been able to do, really. So, 
yeah it, it's quite big but it's still still developing and I think I think particularly being the first round of AHP champions we're kind of a little bit like finding our own way making our own way and it's like the the idea is just for us to get the message out there and we can kind of do that almost any way we choose really so yeah hopefully look out for a little bit more from us as the year goes on bits and pieces yeah it sounds great that you're kind of like involved in like the very first AHP social prescribing and that you can kind of like just kind of lay the foundations for the understanding of that and that it's been like a big enough thing to be able to um kind of emerge from just medical professionals to the wider like um healthcare community which I think will be a really beneficial thing for like in the future as well and why should we get involved in this well, social prescribing can realistically be for anyone, but people with long-term health conditions seeking advice and need support for their physical and mental well-being are more likely to reach out for different types of support. And the evidence is still fairly new in social prescribing. It's a new concept. We're still trying to push it out there. So there's not really enough research to tell us the benefits. But what we do know is that with groups and building the community, it creates a sense of belonging, which reduces loneliness and there's more peer support and with this it also decreases hospital admissions a e attendance so there's financial savings there's also stronger communities and people feel more empowered because there's development of new groups and it's pre preventative especially with covid a lot of people feel more anxious to go out into social settings because we've had two years of being locked up inside it's quite hard now to just go straight out so they need slow process in order to rebuild their confidence. And this is where social prescribing can definitely come in and help out. And it makes us aware of more complex psychosocial needs. So like I said, it makes us aware of the bigger picture. Instead of just giving a diagnosis, we can also think, OK, how exactly is this going to affect them outside and give them more support in order to help them? I really like that it's kind of got the sort of three layers of 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 how it helps that that Malika's kind of um, said there. You know that it helps the individuals. Uh, it helps us within the healthcare service because we can look at the whole person and it can, you know, we can put in some preventative things that are going to then lead to less work and less costs later on. And it's got that benefit at the community level as well, really kind of strengthening up communities and. Um, yeah so it's kind of possible benefits for for everybody at, at, at all those different levels so really good how would you say that as i mean as we're all slts to be um how would you say that it links back um to speech and language therapy okay so there was a really fabulous um framework that came out a couple of years ago and i think this again is probably why it's something that's just not out there that much yet because this framework was developed um, which the rcslt were part of developing the framework so it's very much something that the rcslt have said yeah this is something that we as speech and language therapists should be involved in and should be getting on board with as well um, and it's called Driving Forward Social Prescribing, a Framework for Allied Health Professionals. Um, and so aimed purely at, at AHPs, uh, but there's loads of examples in it of some SLT specific stuff as well as more general things. And they talk about four levels of getting involved 
Um, and to a certain extent, it's like, you know, level one is the least effort and level four is the most roughly. Um, but level one would be active signposting. And I think probably a lot of SLTs would, would say that they do do that that you just provide information for people to, to go and access. So it might be a leaflet about a dementia support group or something else, but it's just providing the information and it's suitable where people are confident enough to go off and do their own thing. However, if people need a bit more support then as an SLT or a student on placement, you might need to do level two, which is referring to a link worker. Like I mentioned earlier, any professional can refer to a link worker, including us as SLTs. So if we feel that a patient has got quite complex needs, and needs more support with their health and well-being, we can refer to the link worker and they've got the time to sit down with the person and really look at how they can be helped in the widest possible sense. Um, level three is the AHP as a social prescriber. So you could almost be that kind of link worker. If you're somewhere where you're working in like longer term care, particularly, it could be you that supports people to go out to things. So if you're working with a patient who's got aphasia and they need to go to a peer befriending service, you could go with them to that first session. Because uh, that's quite often what the link workers would do is that they would they would enable them to take that first step um, or uh, you know if if you knew that somebody with a stammer like the, the example I gave earlier of, of somebody who you know needs to make a phone call but they know they're going to be really worried about how the person on the other end is going to deal with it sit with them while they do that thing and um, so it's just kind of it's just taking that extra step to support those wider things that are caused sort of a problem by communication. And then level four is um, really about AHPs kind of providing the social prescribing services, the things that link workers are gonna prescribe to. Now, I, I back in the day, I was a music student. So some of the examples in the level four really like they, they float my boat um, because they're quite often around um, sort of the basically singing. So there's two case study examples where SLTs have set up um, inclusive choirs where people can come, whether they've got autism, dementia, aphasia, whatever. And, and it works on both the therapeutic and the health benefits of singing, while also they're working on communication and practicing communication techniques in a supportive environment. So actually, there's no reason why SLTs shouldn't actually put on those kind of groups for people as well. Um, and I think like once I started focusing on it back around September, October, I've actually realized as a student, you can throw it into half your exams and assignments. It's worth noting and it's probably gonna get you a few marks <laughs> because you're thinking holistically. So, you know, my um, the, the the guy who, who stammered, that was one of my um, Viva cases. Uh, both my um, projects, my dissertation and my service development project this year are both going to involve some elements of social prescribing. So, you know, you as a student, it's going to benefit you to know about it because it'll get you a few extra marks. And as an SLT, it's just, you know, there's those different levels of involvement that you could start to um, start to have a go at once, while you're on placement or, or once you're qualified. Um, there's a really useful website actually called healthexchange.org.uk um, and there you can put in 
like your the postcode of either where the person lives or or where it is you're seeing them so for example i put in bcu um city south campus and there are 72 social prescribing opportunities within two miles of bcu and they include family services job clubs advice uh, cheap food product projects sports activities services that work with the deaf and the visually impaired so if you as a student or an SLT did nothing else than go on health exchange and, you know, signpost people to some of those things, actually you could be making a massive difference to somebody's life just there. I Just to add on, I think, um, like I said, with the group of the parents, what they do is they give parents days out for the children with needs. So if you, you give the people a better quality of life as well, if you're able to direct them into the right place, because some of the families, they did tell me as well that, if they were aware of the group, they probably wouldn't be able to have taken their child to the trips that we went on. Yeah, it sounds like a really good way to get involved and like even just reading up more about it on the Health Exchange website sounds like a really like valuable use of time just for both the course and for like kind of widening your understanding of the experiences that different people might have. Definitely. Thank you both for coming on the podcast today. I mean, I've learned loads and I'll definitely be um, champion the champions <laughs> if I come across you guys. Um, yeah, so keep an eye out for any of the other podcasts we might release this academic year um, and we'll, we'll see you all soon. Bye.